This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. First Corinthians chapter 15. Where else can you go on an Easter Sunday morning than First Corinthians 15, the great resurrection chapter? And just reading a few verses, verses 3 through to verse 8. Paul says, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, or by Peter, then by the twelve, After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as one born out of due season. It was the late John Scott who said, perhaps the transformation of the disciples of Jesus is the greatest evidence for all for the resurrection. It was the resurrection that transforms Peter's fear into courage and Thomas's doubt into faith. It was the resurrection that changed the Sabbath into Sunday and the Jewish remnant into the Christian church. It was the resurrection which changed Saul the Pharisee into Paul the Apostle and turned his persecuting into preaching. The resurrection of Jesus Christ had a profound effect upon the early church and is still having a profound effect upon the church today. It is an absolute fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And because of the resurrection, Paul was able to write this glorious chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapter. And these scriptures has given help, encouragement, and comfort to untold millions of men and women over the centuries who have put their trust in Christ. Death is such an adversary. It's such a blight on God's fairest of creation, mankind. And without the resurrection, there would be neither point nor purpose in this life. Without the next life, what is the point of this life? The resurrection means that we have been given a gateway into eternity, a doorway into heaven, and one day to be with Christ, which is far better, Paul says. And how else could all the injustices of life, how else could all of them be put right? How could all the wrongs be made right if it wasn't for the resurrection? Because the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, but after this comes the judgment. And Paul, writing here in verses 3 and 4, makes this simple but remarkable statement. He says, But Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. It's so important that we know that it's according to the Scriptures. Christ died. All men die. All the sons and daughters of Adam, all are mortal, all die. And here's the paradox. From the very moment you're born, you begin to die. 
from your very first breath, from your very first heartbeat, from that moment on, you're actually in the process of one day dying. That's the way that it is. And the advent of modern medicine, of course, has prolonged our human life considerably. But in the end, it cannot stop the inexorable tick-tock of life's brief little day on earth. Ken's father was buried this week at 87 years old. And let me tell you, it's just a flash. It's just a breath in light of all of eternity. It is nothing. By the time that the apostle wrote his gospel, all the other heroes that we read about in Scripture are all dead. All those Old Testament worthies, many of them mention Hebrews 11, they're all gone. All of his contemporaries, all of his fellow apostles, all of them are gone. And Matthew and Peter and Philip and Bartholomew and all of them, even the great apostle Paul, by this time John writes his gospel, they're all dead and gone. In Adam, all die. But in Christ, all shall be made alive. Christ died. Jesus was crucified, but hundreds, if not thousands, of other men were crucified in Israel during the Roman occupation. But they died according to the authorities. They died for their own sins. They died for their wrong deeds. But Jesus died for our sins, it says. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. His death was predicted. It was prophesied. It was promised. Jesus himself proclaimed it. Isaiah prophesied about Christ's death in great detail in Isaiah 53. The psalmist in Psalm 22, which is a great messianic psalm, messianic psalm, and if I could just read a couple of verses of it for you. This is what Jesus prayed on the cross when he was being crucified. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groanings? And then verse 6, But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. And all those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake their heads saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. And then in verse, verse 14, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shred. And my tongue cleaves to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones. They look at me and stare. They divided my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. So many parts of that great psalm were pointing, of course, to Christ on the cross. Psalm 34, 20, not a bone of his body shall be broken. Psalm 41 and 9, he would be betrayed by a friend. Psalm 69, 21, he would be given vinegar mixed with gall to drink. And didn't that happen at the cross? And didn't a friend betray him? 
Isaiah 53 and 9, he would be with the rich in his death. And didn't that happen through Joseph of Arimathea? Zechariah 11 and 12, he was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Isaiah 56, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. Isaiah 53 and 7, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. When he stood before Pilate, Pilate says, have you nothing to say in your defense? Do you not know that I have the power to kill you? When he stood before Herod, not one word came out of his mouth. He condemned that Herod by saying nothing. This fulfills scripture. He died and was buried and rose again according to the scriptures. Everything was fulfilled in scripture. And so this was no misfortune. This was no accidental death of some Jewish itinerant preacher. This was something that was planned before the foundation of the world. This was something that the father had planned for his son in order to save you and to save me. And so the fulfillment of so many scriptures prove that this was a predetermined, foreordained plan. You remember the two on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24? How Jesus met them and they didn't recognize him. Their eyes were holding that they could not see him. He says, oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Thank God for this book today. Thank God we have got this Bible, that we can read these scriptures, that we can see the fulfillment of everything that Christ did. It says, and he was buried and rose again according to the scriptures. Of course, you know that over the centuries, right up till this very week, uh, you have the skeptics, you have the enemies of the cross who try everything they can to discredit and discount the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and there's two particular theories uh, that they always uh, come out with. Uh, and both of them concern uh, the, the very hour of his death and his burial. Uh, one is that, of course, that he didn't really die on the cross, uh, that he fainted. And when they put him into the tomb, that he revived in the coolness of the tomb, the old swoon theory. But what <laughs> nonsense is that? Yeah, How could a man who endured the whippings and the beatings and the cruelty of the cross and who was on trial all night. How could he endure then being put in a tomb and sealed and managed to get out himself? It's ridiculous. And of course, the other theory is that he did die on the cross and that he was buried in that tomb, but that the disciples came and they stole away the body at nighttime. But under inspection, of course, these and other theories do not hold water. Those hardened Roman executioners made absolutely sure that their prisoners was dead. And those authorities who wanted him dead, the Jewish authorities, 
They made sure that he would be dead before he'd be taken off that cross because the Sabbath was imminent. And they went to the authorities. They didn't want bodies hanging up on crosses to desecrate their holy day, the Passover. And so they made sure, of course, that he was dead. And you remember how the soldiers came and how they broke the legs of the two thieves to hasten their death so that they couldn't put themselves up on the cross and breathe? But when they came to Jesus, they were surprised because he was dead already. Very unusual. Crucifixion was deliberately made to be a long, lingering death. But when he came to Jesus, he was dead already because he said, it is finished. Even though his death was relatively short, it was nonetheless no less painful, but relatively short. He said, it is finished. Why? To fulfill scripture also, not one bone of his body was to be broken, Psalm 34 and 10. And God made sure that would not happen. And so before his bones could be broken, he breathed his last. The work was done. It is finished. What he had come to do was complete. And so there can be no question of his death. Once that soldier put that spear up into his side and pierced his heart, he was surely dead. And they knew it. And then besides that, of course, there was the matter of the grave clothes. Remember, Jesus was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. He was very rich. Hence that scripture, Isaiah 53 and 9, that he would be with the rich in his death. And Joseph and his friend Nicodemus, both of them from the Sanhedrin, the Jewish rulership of Israel. And both of them, how that they were secret disciples and how that they couldn't prevent Jesus dying on the cross, even though they were in disagreement with it. But after he died, they, they plucked up the courage to go and ask Pilate for the body because a criminal's body belonged to the state which was now Roman state. And he says, okay. And they took that body and they began to prepare it. And you remember how they brought 100 pounds weight of those precious spices of aloes and cassie and so forth. And how then that they... They, they took those linen strips and they wound the body. And in between the strips, they would put that beautiful ar aromatic ointment. And how that the idea would be that those strips would be all around the body, right up to the neck, right up to the head. And then on the face, there would be a napkin placed, cloth placed on the face. And of course, uh, in, in a matter of hours, in the coolness of the tomb, then those grave clothes that had been formed around the body would harden. And the body would literally be like cocooned in the grave clothes. You remember how Lazarus, when Jesus raised him from the dead, he says, loose him and let him go. He couldn't loose himself. And when he came out of that grave, he didn't come out striding because his legs and his feet would be bound. He would come out shuffling. 
in John chapter 20, it's interesting. John chapter 20. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came, sorry, went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that was John, and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloth lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, which would be typical of Peter, wouldn't it? He just rushes in where everybody dares to, fears to tread. Notice this, and he saw the linen cloth lying there and the handkerchief which had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself three times. The linen cloths are mentioned in those couple of verses. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first, which was John, went and also, and he saw and believed. When he saw the grave cloths, he believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. What was it about the grave cloth that convinced John that Jesus had risen? Jesus wasn't in the grave cloth. And they weren't unwrapped. They weren't lying in a pile at the side of the tomb. That cocoon of grave clothes was still there only without a body. And the napkin was folded to one side. And when John saw the grave cross, even though he didn't know the scripture is to be raised from the dead, he was absolutely convinced because of the proof of the grave clothes. Forget about the shroud of Turin and all that nonsense that goes on about that. Keep to the scriptures, folks. John saw the grave cloths and he believed. He believed. Jesus didn't need the grave cloths unwrapped. He simply passed through them. Just the way later that night when the disciples were gathered together in that room, he would pass through the walls. He didn't need the door opened and he would just appear in their midst. And by the way, when it tells us about the angels rolling away the stone. Of course, you know that the angel didn't roll away the stone to let Jesus out. He rolled away the stone to let the disciples in. Remember the woman came and says, who shall roll away the stone for us? Jesus didn't need a stone rolled away. He would just pass through the grave like he passed through the grave clothes because now he's in his resurrection body, which is a wonderful body. And of course, the theory would be that Jesus was stolen by his disciples. But this is also a nonsense. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 57. Now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. 
This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean white, sorry, in a clean linen cloth. If you read John 19, you'll see that he wrapped him in strips of white linen. So it's the same thing. And laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. And on the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember when he was alive, how that deceiver said, After three days I will arise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead, so that the last deception will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Verse 1 of chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to, set, to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. And his countenance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. And the guard shook for fear and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And so they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. And when they came to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! And so they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren, go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Let me give you just a couple of reasons why this grave robbing story is wrong. Why would these disciples who were so fearful and cowardly that they fled a living Jesus. Why? Why would they want to serve a dead Jesus? Why, when they were hiding for fear of the Jews, why would these same people want to follow a dead Jesus? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And if they stole the body, why would they leave the grave clothes behind? Why would they do that? Surely time would be of the essence. Surely they'd want to get in there and get out of there as quick as they could. Why would they bother to fold the napkin and leave it neatly folded? Why would they bother to do that? And if the grave clothes were removed, surely it would be a sticky mess. Why would they take the time to do that? What would be the point? Why would they even pretend that there was a resurrection? Because none of them believed that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. None of them. Even though he had told them on occasions that he was going to die, that he was going to rise again, they just didn't get it. 
They heard it with their ears, but they didn't hear it with their heart. They didn't get it. In fact, Peter, when Jesus told them this, Peter says, be it far from you, Lord, that this should happen to you. It just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. The thought never once crossed their minds. <coughs> when Jesus died, that was it. They were not expecting a resurrection. And for Roman guards to fall asleep on the job, for them to do that was punishable by death. That's why the, the Sanhedrin says, look, we'll give you a large sum of money to say this, and if your governor is going to get you into trouble, we'll vouch for you, we'll get you out of trouble. Hmm. And they had to pay them a lot of money to lie. And so there were hardly eyewitnesses. If they had fallen asleep, how did they know who stole the body? So none of that makes sense. And yet, those theories still abound today. It says he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Christ's resurrection was foretold again and again and again. And even though they didn't get it at that point, of course, when he appeared to them, then they saw, then they believed, then they were changed. And Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Because we walk by faith, not by sight. Huh. In Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. This is Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, and then he quotes Psalm 16, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh will also rest in hope. My flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life, and you will make me full of joy in your presence. You will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Do you remember again when Lazarus was in the tomb? They sent for Jesus, and Jesus deliberately delayed his coming. And by the time he came, you remember what Mary and Martha said to Jesus regarding Lazarus in the tomb? He's been here four days. By this time he stinketh. Corruption had set in on the fourth day. 
Jesus didn't go four days. He rose again on the third day. You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. And so even back then, prophesied again and again and again. Even Isaiah in 53 prophesied 700 years before Christ. Seven centuries before the Lord even came. He was prophesying about these things. Why am I saying this? As our evidence. It was according to the scriptures. The only evidence we've got to bank on is the rock of his word. Yes, we experientially know it because it's changed our lives, but the foundation of it is the word of God. That's what we argue with, the word of God. And so his death was foretold and his death was foreshadowed. It was foreshadowed. The scribes and the Pharisees says, in effect, prove who you are. Give us a sign. And he says, an adulterous generation seeks after signs. But I'll give you one. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man shall be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. There's your evidence again. Did Jonah come out of the belly of the great fish? Yes, he did. Did Jesus come out of that tomb? Yes, he did. Victoriously. And so it was foretold. You remember standing close to the temple and how they had great pride in that temple? And Jesus says, destroy this temple in three days and I will raise it up again. And they says, this temple's been 46 years in building. And you raise it up in three days? But they hadn't realized he was talking about this temple, the temple of his body, that would be raised up in three days. And so, you can understand his enemies not getting it, but his closest friends didn't get it. His own family didn't get it. His own brothers and sisters didn't get it until he was resurrected. And so what a wonderful glorious thing is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He died for our sins, for our offenses, but he was raised for our justification. That's why we stand justified today. Because God raised him from the dead to prove what he had done was right and was finished and was the thing that was going to change lives. So he raised him from the dead to justify us. So our justification today is that Jesus is risen from the dead, that he's been gloriously resurrected. And that resurrection life that's in him is in us. And one day that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, if we die, will raise us from the dead also. It's working in us in some measure to live this Christian life. But listen, if we live long enough and they put us under that sod, one day... We'll come out of there and we'll have a glorious body like unto his glorious body. See, this is the great hope of the Christian church. This is the wonderful comfort that we have. When we buried Ken's father the other day, the fact that his granddaughter led him to Christ just two weeks before that, what a wonderful hope that gives that family. 
And I have stood at too many gravesides and couldn't say if that person was a believer or not. And couldn't say in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection from the dead. How do you use other words? But when you can say that, and somebody's a believer in Christ. See, this is what makes Christianity unique and different. No other religious leader ever died and rose again. They all died and their writings go on and they venerate the dead prophet. But we don't venerate a dead prophet. We worship a living Christ. Glory to God. And so that's why on Resurrection Sunday, that's why we sing those songs that we sing to remind ourselves in this wonderful, glorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Tonight, I want to carry on. In fact, we're going to read those same scriptures, only we're going to look at something completely different. Again, all showing us the wonder and the glory of Christ's resurrection. What a blessing it is to know the Son of God today, isn't it? Aren't you glad you're saved today? Wouldn't it be awful living in this life right now not knowing Christ, not knowing where you're going, having no confidence, no assurance of a life after this life. How terrible would that be? How miserable would that be? They buried Stephen Hawking. Gave him a Christian burial. Didn't even believe in God. Says there is no God, it's a fairy tale. But yet, he got a Christian burial. How you can get a Christian burial without believing God is beyond me. But that's this world. That's what they do. Do you know what? There are no atheists in eternity. There are no non-believers in eternity. The second you die, you will believe in God. You will certainly believe in God. But it will be too late then. It will be far too late. So thank God that we're prepared Thank God that the Holy Spirit came and found us and won us to Christ. Glory to God. Lord, we thank you that you are a risen, resurrected, glorified Christ. And we thank you that you're seated at the right hand of your Father. And we bless you that you're coming back again for those who love you and trust you. And for those who look for you, shall you appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And so we bless you today and we give you thanks for all that you've done for each of us, for the testimony that we have of a life in Christ. Lord, we did not deserve it, we could not earn it, but by your grace and through faith we received it and we give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.